Hello. Welcome to Syracuse Speaks, The View from the AHL, a Syracuse Crunch-centric podcast. I'm your host, Alex Ackerman. Let's get started. I am here with Patrick Williams. I always really enjoy having him on and especially considering this almost seems like an entirely different crunch team than the one we talked about the last time Patrick was on with me. So Patrick, it's so nice to see you. How are you doing today? Good, good. How are you? Always a pleasure to come back on the show. Yeah, I love it. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm doing all right. I got got some stuff going on, but don't we all? So it's nice to just be able to relax and talk hockey, especially when the hockey when the hockey talk is good, <laughs> which yes. is kind of tough this season. It's, uh, you know, it's funny you bring that up because last season was definitely strange, but it was also fast. Yeah. So, you know, it was over in about three and a half or so months. This has like felt like a couple seasons within one and we're not even in the playoffs. I mean, we're still a month plus from the playoffs. So <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's been a season and, and then some, you know, between all the postponements and the whole Omicron outbreak and the taxi squads and the sort of like, you know, just the normal stuff that happened in the season, the, the highs and the lows and the trade deadline and this, and that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's been, it's been memorable. <laughs> I guess we'll, down the road, we'll know if it's memorable, good or memorable, bad. <laughs> the, the amount of flexibility and, and mental gymnastics that I think everybody, fans, players, front office staff has had to go through media members <laughs> Mm-hmm. have had, you know, have had to go through this season has been intense and it's hard to believe that we're just about a month away from the end of, of this extended regular season. Yeah. I, flexibility is a perfect word. I mean, because it's uh well, you just look at the way the standings have shifted, right? Like you've had these like real swings in the standings just because, you know, some teams completely got decimated by the taxi squad other teams got completely boosted afterwards. You know, they got a ton of players back and then, you know, just the normal high, you know, like I said, the normal, this is a league with a lot of swings in normal times, right? Just because it's the nature of the league with a lot of turnover and even within the season. And now you've kind of like taken that and amped it up to 10, you know, and just that's why you're seeing these, like these really weird playoff races now. And um, especially with the extra seven slots now for teams to fight over, like so, yeah, it's it's wild. We'll definitely come back to that in a little bit, but first up, I wanted to just just talk a little bit about nostalgia and the crunch. Really hit a home run this past week with their efforts, their retro efforts. They brought back a beloved mascot in Syracuse history, Al the Ice Gorilla made a reappearance. And not only did he make a reappearance on the jersey, but I'm not sure if what came first here, the chicken or the egg, if they were always planning on bringing back the actual mascot or if the jerseys got such good reception originally Mm -hmm. that they decided in hindsight to bring him back. I'm not sure how that happened, but it was a really great week for crunch fans and the nostalgia around those years when Al was the team's mascot is fascinating to me because like I have my own personal reasons. I kind of was got a little philosophical on my own Twitter last night Mm -hmm. about my twenties and, and the team and all that kind of stuff. But like the hockey during those years overall was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) 
it was awful. Like, yeah, there was a that's fair to say. Like, Syracuse went through some stuff back then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like there was a reason why characters like John Morasti and to some extent Zen and Kanapko, who 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 had talent. I'm not going to say that he was, mm-hmm. you know, but he he played in the NHL a bunch. But but still, he he was he was no Alex Barry Boulay. He was no Gabriel Dumont. Like Kanapka had a personality oh, that yes. it would not, I, you, you said this when we were off air, that would not have worked in today's American Hockey League. So oh. what is it with these time periods that have these characters in them where the hockey is just atrocious, <laughs> but yet it's remembered so fondly by hockey fans and I think AHL fans in particular? Yeah, that's well, that's an interesting question. I mean, nostalgia, like they say, nostalgia is a drug, right? And it's something I think almost everyone is susceptible to, right? And, you know, we probably romanticize maybe even some of the times, you know, after the fact, right? Like, you know, we think of them maybe better than they were, right? And like, you, you make a great point. Like, that was not a great hockey period in Syracuse, for sure, especially when you compare it to, you know, the way things have been during the Tampa Bay era, where literally most years you're a Calder Cup contender. Um, and that was not the case back uh, during the Columbus era, for sure. And um, and even in the Anaheim era, like that was uh, that was a tough little two-year stretch as well. But yeah, I think it comes back like, you know, a lot of things. Like for you, for example, like that was when you really embraced you know, the fanhood and, you know, coming in and becoming a fan of this, this team called the Syracuse Crunch with this weird mascot, Al. And, um, you know, and I think it's, we're always going to look back on like maybe the earliest days of when we get into something, right. You know, and like, it's why people look back on, you know, when they were in school or they look back on, you know, their twenties and, um, so yeah, I think I think it made sense that you you felt that way, and and I think the crunch also really know how to <laughs> you know how to push fans' buttons <laughs> emotionally and uh, nostalgia wise, and uh, I think with the Al uh, promotion, they uh, they definitely did that this week, and uh, they obviously really connected because the um, the reception to Al was was really good. I have I have a little bit of a private bet going here, and I and I'm interested on your take with this because you know Syracuse's front office basically mm-hmm. as well as I do. They put a lot of work into oh, designing yeah. those jerseys, designing the mascot with the Tampa Bay Lightning colors. You know, Al previously during the Anaheim era was yellow, gold, green. <laughs> kind of muddy, but whatever during the Columbus era, it was green, bright green eyes, Columbus colors, blue, red, and white, you know, Mm -hmm. they put a lot of work into it. And then they actually created the mascot with those same color schemes. Do you think we have seen the last of Al or are they building up to something? Hmm. Cause I just feel like they put an awful lot of work. Yes into this to only have it be a one trick pony. Well, if it was maybe originally planned to just be a one-off, I think the reception 
at the very least has to be making them reconsider that if that was the case. So I don't think we've seen the last of Al. Is Al going to become the new face of the franchise? I don't know. But um, maybe there's a, a showdown between him and Crunchman too, right? <laughs> <laughs> they can For sell like tickets. Supremacy to, like, of the Syracuse Crunch. <laughs> Uh, center ice showdown, uh, John Moresti style. I don't know, but um, Al obviously connects with fans um, in a way that, like, really, I can't think of um, another mascot situation where it really has that same um, impact, right? Um, Al, yeah. And there's something about Al that people like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's just because he's supposed to be big and scary but he's sort of lovable too and um yeah he's he's kind of his own thing and it's uh i mean the crunch like really when you think about like the crunch's history going back to 94 they've always been out in front of a lot of things right which makes sense right howard dolgan the owner he worked in marketing like big time new york city like huge account marketing right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so like that's sort of the the you know that's the roots of the franchise are in that right and then they came in in 94 and Syracuse had had a very difficult hockey history before that and they came in and they had a lot of ideas that really at the time were pretty revolutionary uh, for hockey you know, certainly at the American Hockey League level and they were able to come in and and kind of shake things up right you know in a sport where let's be honest <laughs> it's very sort of well this is the way we've always done it and then howard and the crunch come in and they're like no we're gonna try to do this this own thing right and they you know they started off uh with you know the original crunch man uh with kind of the, the very you know wild color jerseys you know like with the the teal, the gold, the teal and the purple. Oh god, purple and like you name you name a color, and it was in there. And oh. uh, yeah, and and that was another situation too, where they didn't have great teams, and they you know you were with Vancouver, and it was you know not obviously the most natural affiliation, but they connected on a local level, and um, they they understood their their fan base and their market really really well, and they've continued that all the way now. I mean, they're coming up on thirty years. Um, it's, uh, I believe, Hershey, Rochester, Providence, and Syracuse are your oldest tenured teams now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like so, you're in that you're in that group now with kind of the real roots of the AHL, right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. And you know, like the Crunch are not a new team anymore, but they seem to always keep it fresh and find new ways to either tap into nostalgia or to kind of find something, you know fresh and new. And I think Al's kind of a combination of both. Um, It's definitely a throwback, but also, like you said, they um, connected him to the current era with the Tampa Bay lightning. And I think they really made it work. And yeah, I thought it was a cool, a cool little promotion to see it come back. And I really hope they do stick with it, uh, you know, going forward. Yeah. I would even take like, maybe have it be one of the alternates that the team pulls out on a regular basis. You know, they have the orange jerseys that have that connection to, 
Syracuse university that mm-hmm. is, that is needed in a, in a college town. And I think this would be a nice connection to the team's past on nights when they have a reason to pull that out, or there's a guest that has whatever, or just if the team is in a little bit of a slump and you want to stir things up. I mean, those jerseys were absolutely gorgeous. Um, yes. Thanks to a very generous surprise from my best friend. I am now the proud owner of, of Gabriel Dumont's and saw that. Yeah, it is probably the most gorgeous Jersey in my collection. And I mean, you know, up until this point, I would say the hockey fights cancer Jersey was, was up there, but this, they did a beautiful job of matching the colors and bringing in Mm -hmm. the lightning, but still keeping that this is Syracuse's team. This is not the Syracuse lightning. This is Syracuse's Mm -hmm. team. And I so appreciate that and the history that was in there. And I just, I can't, obviously like, I can't say enough good things about what Mm -hmm. the the team did this past week with that. And full credit to the lightning too, um, for really kind of giving Syracuse the leeway to, to know their own market and to take some chances and, um, the lightning kind of like are you know their hands off uh, you know their 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 mentality is we give you the players you run things locally uh, uh, you know on a Syracuse level and that's why I think that connection really works for mm-hmm. them you know you know a lot of NHL teams don't want this kind of you know creativity I guess for lack of a better word you know they want things very buttoned down and this is the way we do it and da 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 da, da. and that's fine I guess that that is what works for them but like. Tampa's smart enough, I think, that they're like, hey, Syracuse is kind of its own, its own thing, right? And we gotta, we've got to respect that and and let the crunch front office and the fan base run with it from there. And I think that's why the crunch year in and year out are, are you know, one of your strongest franchises in the league uh, because they really do know how to connect with their fans on a local basis and really kind of make it feel like this is this is Syracuse's team this isn't just uh, 20 players that parachute in and play hockey here for a year or two and go somewhere else this is Syracuse and, and I think that's when you look at the best most tenured teams in the league that's one of the things they all have in common is you know Rochester does it Hershey does it uh, Providence does it. it it's their own team and I think that's why it works yeah, we're not, we don't want no Bridgeport Islanders over here. <laughs> the terrible logo. They can, they can go pound sand. Anyways. Well, yeah. Uh, you know, hey, you know, every market is its own thing. And yeah, some markets love that connection. You know, they want that NHL direct connection. Others, you know, they want to be their own thing, right? Like Toronto is, if you don't have a Leafs connection, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Like Toronto is a, a tale to, and we saw that directly with when they were, they were the roadrunners with Edmonton. It did not work at all. Mm-hmm. And when the Marlies came in with the Leafs, they've been a powerhouse franchise ever since. And so, yeah, it really does depend on the market you're in, the fan base you're in, your distance from your NHL club. But uh, yeah, for Syracuse, that's the thing. I think Syracuse works with any affiliate, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you've been with, Vancouver you had Pittsburgh in for like half a C or half well, one season as a half affiliate you had Columbus in for about a decade you had Anaheim which is kind of way off the you know map uh, and then you went to Syracuse or to Tampa and that's you know it's a plane plane right away and then you had Florida come in last year you know as a part of partial affiliate so 
whoever the affiliate is, it works just because it is first and foremost, the Syracuse crunch emphasis on Syracuse. It is hard sometimes to trust the grand plan of these affiliations. And sometimes like with the Columbus and the Anaheims at the end, the grand plan kind of peters out and Mm -hmm. it just doesn't work. But so far the lightning of partnership for the most part has worked. And I think that this season in particular, Crunch fans have seen evidence of trusting the process. This season has been tough for Syracuse. You know, it, it was after such a incredible off season where it just felt like Syracuse was stacked and was going to run the league and was, was, was set to go. The reality was much different. And then COVID hit the team and hit the league in the middle of the season, right when Syracuse usually is gelling under yep. Ben Grew and doing the, whatever, ha- whatever magic Ben weaves tends to settle in <laughs> end of December going into January. But of course, this season, that was right when Syracuse wasn't playing. Mm-hmm. I mean, this has to be, oh my God, the first time in hockey history, a team went five weeks between games. Right. Absolutely. I yes. Mean, that's. That's remarkable. Actually, yes. I believe it was six weeks. It was November 27th to January 5th. So, and then, well, they had those two games down in Charlotte, and that one game in Toronto. So they played three games in six weeks. Um, none of them on home ice, right? Mm-hmm. So, so there was a lot to overcome, right? And like yeah. you said, um, Ben, you know, and I say this as a compliment, but Ben's an acquired taste. Uh, for players and it takes a little bit of time for some players to buy into what he's selling but when eventually they do you see the results and now you're starting to see that that payoff come in and you know they're what eight two oh and one in their last 11 mm-hmm. now they're the you know they were a team that was looking really close to fading away for good in the playoff race now they're they're right in there and I think they'll make it at this point you know barring some sort of major you know downfall but um they look pretty solid right now um you know going forward and um yeah so once again ben is kind of uh been able to weave that uh <laughs> that touch of his and um it, it, like you said they had a big off season you, you look at the team on paper coming in october and things look great and then uh matt's legacy is injured the first weekend of the season uh, that's kind of sends the goaltending uh, into uh, you know bit of a tailspin, and then mm-hmm. obviously you know um, incorporating you know back to a full affiliation with Tampa after having Florida in there. That's that's an adjustment, and then you know you you know obviously just normal recalls and injuries that, that happen to any team, and then the whole COVID situation hit, and before you know it, you're into January, and you're like, where and then the you have taxi go? squads. And you have taxi squads and that went into February. And then, so it wasn't really until around early February that you even kind of were able to get your bearings mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and figure out, okay, what do we have here? Right. And then, you know, later seed didn't play really come back till the end of uh, February. So you didn't even have your, your number one goalie. I mean, you had two young, young goalies trying to find their way just coming over from Europe. And that's always an adjustment for goalies. Uh, you know, I, I've talked to enough goalies over the years that have played in both both sides of the ocean, and they it's almost a t- totally different game. You know, just in terms of the styles and obviously the rink size, and just learning learning the position, almost learning it over in a way, right? And 
so you had that, and you, then you so, but like I said, Max doesn't come back until the end of February, more or less. And, um, and then you have like a run of Utica, like <laughs> three in a row, which is not what you want to see when you're trying to find your footing. But now they've, you know, slowly but surely, I mean, they've put together a nice little run here. Um, uh, knocked off Rochester a couple times, which I think, you know, that's kind of what it's might all ultimately come down to is, you know, being able to win some games down the stretch um, like they have uh, against Rochester. They, they knocked off Hartford. Hartford's a good team and they, they beat them pretty soundly. Um, uh, they beat Belleville, right? Like one of the other teams that they're facing, you know, they beat a Wilkesbury team that, you know, has had its moments. So slowly but surely they're, I think they're finding their way and uh, they're a team that could be dangerous. You know, I wouldn't want to get them in that best of three first round or that play in round. And you're, especially if you go into Syracuse and that's always a tough rank for visiting teams and you got to play a best of three. That means if you lose the first game, you're facing elimination right off the bat and, you know, going up against a coach like Ben, that, that could be a tough, tough situation for whoever might find themselves in against the crunch. So um, they have uh, obviously a crazy March or April schedule Um, down the stretch. Pretty much everyone does. So I guess that's, you know, something of a neutral factor, but um, it also is a good test in the sense they have some real tough teams in there. Mm -hmm. They have Providence twice. They have uh, Laval. Laval has really been strong. Um, They have Springfield, you know, they have Utica as usual. Um, so there's a lot of ways, you know, to really sharpen the team up uh, going into that playoff uh, stretch drive and then presumably into the actual playoffs themselves that I think, um, you know, provided they can stay healthy and Tampa stays healthy, I think this is a dangerous team and I would not want to see them in that little mini best of three to start off the playoffs. Your optimism is a bomb to my soul, my friend. <laughs> Well, you know, I was, I was not super high on them, you know, the last time we talked and, you know, but uh, to their credit, uh, I guess that was in mid February, mm-hmm. but they've really found their footing. And, um, you know, like I said, Ben is, you know, Ben is not a, how do I want to put this? Ben is not a quick fix kind of guy. Ben is a very much a, you know, step-by-step, you know, incremental type of coach and Ben's not going to shake things up, but Ben day in and day out is uh, slowly, I think gets his message through. I mean, that's the thing with Ben. Ben's not a yeller and a screamer and uh, you know, he's more of a, you know, I don't want to say he nags, but he definitely is persistent. And a lot of players I've talked to have have kind of had that same reaction or that same um, description of Ben, like Ben just, stays with it and like he slowly he almost like he wears you down right mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. you got you've got to do this you've got to do this if you want to play in the nhl you have to do this and if you want to play in syracuse you have to do this um and that's the first step if you want to go to tampa you have to you have to master syracuse so um event i think other than maybe the most hard-headed players um eventually most players get that message sinks in and then you know, then the, then the, the wheels start to turn. And then now this is what you're seeing here. You're seeing a team come down with one of their patented second half runs. Now it was definitely later than expected, but uh, 
they were able to tread water long enough now to set themselves up for this run. And now they're looking really, really good shape here. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You mentioned the teams that Syracuse is going to be playing down that April stretch. And this season, the schedule, not only because of the cancellations and things, but in general, the schedule was just very different than Crunch fans mm-hmm. are used to seeing. Um, Dolgan has been someone who has really liked to have a home heavy back end. And that wasn't as present this season as usual. And looking at their April schedule, the crunch plays Atlantic division teams quite a bit, which seems to be a little bit of an unusual thing for Syracuse where their end of the season schedule is usually very North division heavy. You know, there's no more Rochester. The crunch played the Rochester for the Rochester Americans for the last time this past Saturday, which is mind blowing to me. So what do you think, how much of a test is this really going to be for Syracuse considering some of these teams that, I mean, most, most of them they they wouldn't even see until the Eastern conference finals. If the crunch even makes it that far. Yeah. Well, like let's take next weekend, right? So you, you start with Utica, you're very familiar with Utica, but then you have Hartford and Providence. That is a tough back to back on the road, right? Like Hartford, they've they've stumbled a little bit lately, but they're a button down team. You have Keith Kincaid and Nett, who's maybe the best goaltender in the league on a you know one game basis. Um, he can steal games left and right. And then you have Providence; uh, they're in first place now in the Atlantic and um, very, very. Um, they have their act together. I think I would say um, they, uh, they, again, they had a little bit of a stumble lately, but uh, they've certainly rebounded this weekend. And um, another team that, that really is, is going to be a tough, uh, a tough opponent. And then you also have them the final week of the season in ho- at home. And then, you, you know, you have Toronto and then you go to spring or you play Springfield and you have Wilkes-Barre. So that's a, and then you have Springfield again. Uh, so that's a that's a tough little stretch there that first half or so of April. But if you can get through that, then you do get into those divisional games more now. Then you get Toronto, you get Belleville, Laval, um, you know, you get Laval again at home. So, um, but you do have you have like a three and three that second to last weekend, Belleville, Laval, and then down to Hershey for one game. Um, so it, it's a challenging schedule, no question, but. I don't really know of a team in the league right now that doesn't have a t- challenging April schedule. I mean, Lehigh Valley plays 16 games in 30 nights. Mm. <laughs> so, I mean, and they're, they're holding on by a thread to their playoff hopes. I mean, and even then I, I'm not sure that uh, barring some incredible run that they could make it anyway, but uh, that schedule doesn't do them any favors. So everyone's a little bit more or less in the same boat in terms of the, having a grueling schedule down the stretch but I mean that's just the nature of you know when you had to postpone so many games and shuffle things around that uh, there's really no avoiding that so um, I guess that you know is a good test to get ready for that playoff grind where um, if you do actually get in and, and, and do something you are going to play you know a hard schedule you know through the playoffs as well so um, better get used to it now because you know this uh, kind of that off and on schedule that we've had for a lot of the season where you know it's been definitely a patchwork schedule just by necessity of, of the pandemic. Um, now we're into the real grind. So it's a good test, but you know, I think this crunch team has shown that they're up to the test and, you know, there's, there's no reason they can't go in and may, may, I don't think you'll sweep next weekend, but you could take two or three 
And if you do, that sets you up really well going into the following week. And just, you know, like this, the old saying, just like take it, you know, one game at a time, one week at a time, try to win the week. You hear a lot of coaches say that. And I think if you can do it that way, you know, maybe take two or three every week, you'll be fine and you'll be in great shape going to the playoffs. The Lightning maybe wasn't as active during the deadline for probably both ends of things that mm-hmm. um, maybe they would have been in the past. But I think that now as we're watching the crunch gel, it makes sense. But it's yeah. funny because even just a week ago, maybe, you know, you're wondering why they didn't trade legacy or or whatever, mm-hmm. like, you know, but they never make moves that they don't think are a good fit. They're not going to make a move just to make a move. So I'm sure that the options that were out there, they did what they did. One of the things they did was they brought in Riley Nash, who I didn't even remember was supposed to be in Syracuse. They tried to send him through waivers at the start of the season and he got claimed, which I, as you said, this has seemed like several seasons rolled into one. So (laughs) I didn't even remember that that was a thing. But he has already made an impact on the crunch. You know, he has been very visible in his first couple of games with Syracuse. What do you see from him? You know, in the three games he's played, he's got four points, two goals, two assists. What do you see from him and the rest of the crunch veterans that is really going to help this team stay strong as they go into that busy April? Yeah. So with Riley Nash, you know what I see? I see a player that's played you know, over 600 games in the NHL and it's had a really difficult last uh, two or so years Um, kind of really bounced around a guy who had been pretty stable more or less for decent portion of his career. And this happens to so many players, right? Like you get past 30 and you start, you know, you know, you get starting to get cycled around the league. So he's what he was with, Columbus, I want to say Toronto, Winnipeg, Arizona, and then Tampa. And now with the crunch, right? So here's a guy who's playing for the future of his career. So he has every reason to come in here motivated. And he's a good character guy anyway. But, you know, any situation where a guy might, you know, be a little bit um, down in the dumps about being sent down to the AHL, like, that's not going to be a case for him. Uh, He's a free agent after this season so he needs a big run here and the best way to get yourself a contract for next year at what 32 years old is to really really put it up uh, a good performance here down the stretch so and you know obviously it started off really well so i like that move for the crunch um you're you're bringing a player that's uh highly motivated high highly incentivized to really have a good run here and and, and be a difference maker and uh you're seeing that with him uh, comes in right in and, you know, more than a point per game. And the guy who's maybe has a chance here to start to find his confidence too. Right. Like it's been a rough goal for him. Right. Like, you know, and a lot of players kind of had their careers upended by the pandemic and um, you get into a situation where, you know, you're, you're not playing much and you're, you know, in the lead now where anyone over 30 is considered old, um, you're very, <laughs> yeah, I know you're very, you're very disposable in a way. And, uh, so this is a chance for him now to uh, say, Hey, you know what? I want a contract for next season. And if you make a good impression here, maybe you get that with the lightning. Uh, they obviously thought enough of him to bring him back, um, after he was in Arizona. And, um, you know, so, you know, they could have just sort of 
you know, so you know, it was nice having them, but uh, we're going to stay, stay, pat, uh, stand pat with this team. And but they went out and they, they they obviously saw something they liked with him from the little bit of time they did have him in, in the system or with Tampa um, to go out and uh, obviously it was for much it was for future considerations, but it was still they made the effort to bring him in and. Um, so I like that movement. It shows that that Tampa's definitely invested here and in, in trying to get the crunch into the playoffs and, and get the, those prospects that playoff experience. So uh, it's the kind of move that maybe like most people would roll their eyes or think, ah, whatever, who cares? It's just a, you know, small time move, but like, you know, in terms of uh, what it means for, for Syracuse and for Tampa's prospects, I think it's a huge move. The other veterans on the crunch are doing exactly what, the lightning hoped that they would do when they signed mm-hmm. them all this past summer. Gabriel Dumont is having, he has officially tied his seat, his career best in points. He is almost there with goals. Um, you know, he's, he's having a banner season. Charles Houdon is, it seems like on Syracuse's score sh- sheet every other night. Yeah. Uh, what do you think, how important are these veterans down such a stretch like this, you know, even PC Labrie, he's a guy who can keep the dressing room going and keep the atmosphere light and easy. So how important is it to have those personalities and those presences on your bench as you're heading into such an intense month? Well, the fact that they're even in position now to, you know, actually have a meaningful April is because of guys like that who have, you know, when the things we're really not looking great for the crunch. They were still producing. They were the, 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 you know, two of the players like, like they were able to kind of pull them through at least some of that difficult stretch, at least pull out some wins, you know, because that had that not happened, this crunch team would have been out of the playoff race, right? They would have been a, like a Tucson or a San Jose or, you know, a team like that, you know, where your, your gap is just too far um, to make up. Uh, so they got them through those most difficult stretches. And they bought the rest of the team some time to find their game and to, to buy into the system and to, um, and, and to put themselves into a position to have a big march. And so now, um, like with the Dumont, for example, like you have a guy that, you know, he's played big time games in this league, right? Like he's been through the grind. He knows how to take care of himself. He knows how to um, – get himself to where he needs to be. He was obviously part of that big crunch team in 2017 that went all the way to game six of the final. Uh, so he's playoff tested. Uh, he was with Hamilton when they went on a big run. Uh, that was early in his career, I guess. But, um, you know, so, so he's a playoff tested guy and he knows how to manage himself, how to uh, handle these games. And it's funny, I was talking to, you know, I've been putting together, you know, some interviews. We hear all the time, that this the hockey this time of the year is different. And it is, right? And it's very obvious to all of our eyes. But I want to get the players like, what does that feel like? Like, how does that actually transfer on the ice? And, you know, I've gotten some different responses, but the one, you know, common response is just the margin for error, like with each passing week, just goes down that much more, that much more, that much more, right? And you know, the things you can maybe get away with in November or December, you can't get away with now, right? And this league is a league where from October to April, young players, they can make such a jump from where, when they come in to where they are in April. Uh, the, the learning curve is fast, right? And that's where having guys like Dumont, you know, buy you that time during the season and simultaneously also know how to 
play these big games down the stretch and stay calm and stay composed and all the things a a professional needs to do when really things do like get down to no pun intended crunch time um, that they can get those young players through. And like, remember a lot of these players, the young players, this is maybe their first real playoff test as a pro, right? Especially some of the guys now with the pandemic, the first year or two of their pro career was kind of lost, right? So now this is an actual like bona fide playoff race, you know, to get into the playoffs. And, you know, I, I put a quote out um, last night uh, from uh, Ty Ronning from Hartford. And he said, the Colorado Cup playoffs are such a platform. And that is, that is, he's a great quote anyway, but like that is maybe the most succinct way I've ever heard a player put it. Mm-hmm. This is a platform. This is a chance to really make your mark. And you see players, they can turn their careers around. Maybe they're kind of in a rut or, you know, their careers maybe flatlined a little bit. And then they go in the playoffs and they have a big playoff and their career just takes off. And you sometimes never see them in the NA or in the AHL ever again, or they do remain in the AHL, but they then really get themselves, you know, a big contract or they get, you know, really solidified as a, as a high end player. So there's so much to play for at this level. Like, you know, there's obviously the championship um, factor and the, the allure of that and, you know, you know, the chance to win a, win a cup, but there's also the, the individual incentive as well, where like, you can really make your career by having a big April, May, and June in this league. And and if you play your cards right and handle it right, I mean, that's when you really, let's be honest, you cash in on a big contract that summer or a big opportunity. I mean, the scouts are out all, all spring during the playoffs and uh, they're looking for players, you know, that, that can play those high pressure games. And that's where Dumont and Udon and, and guys like that, um, they're, they're so valuable. And that's why teams like the crunch every summer and the lightning, I should say, they make an effort to bring those players in because they know the value of those guys and, and what they can bring to a lineup. Someone who I think is probably looking to showcase himself a lot in these playoffs is defenseman Sean day. Mm-hmm. So defense has not exactly been something to write home about <laughs> this season. Um, yes. I actually think that that's been one of the team's struggle areas as far as trying to get consistency. You know, it's, it's that, it's that tension between, well, if you don't score, you can't win the game, but if you're letting in goals on the other end, you can't win the game either. So how mm-hmm. do we fix that? <laughs> yes. But day, yeah. So day has been someone who has been kind of quietly putting together a really good season and players like him are really going to need that platform that the playoffs are going to give them. Mm-hmm. 24 years old. Right. So that's that, that's that real awkward time in a player's career where it's like, it's not that young prospect, that first, second year guy where there's a lot of leeway given, but he's not in that like firmly established Gabriel Dumont veteran guy role where, you know, he knows what he is. He's in that in between. This is the fork in the road for a lot of players. And um, are they going to go down that one way where they really vault themselves into like full time NHL uh, possibility, or do they start to really head that other direction down to kind of the AHL veteran or the guy that goes to Europe? And Day is a really interesting example because I mean, 
here's a kid. He was 15 years old. He got the exceptional status in the OHL, which is only handed out to a handful of players over the years. Like those are the like John Tavares's of the world. Um, career never really took off. He managed to become a third round pick by the Rangers. Then he went into Hartford and just stagnated. Um, spent a lot of the time in the ECHL. Kind of came to the crunch last season and just really started to rebuild his career, started to find his game again, and even ended up getting his first two NHL games this season with Tampa, and then has had a career season this year with the crunch. But I can tell you for sure what GMs, not only with Tampa, but anywhere are going to want to say for him is translate that into the playoffs now. Mm -hmm. You know, he's never played a playoff game as a pro. And that is the next frontier for him where can you handle that pressure? Can you handle that? Um, like I said, where the margin for error goes down. I mean, if it's pretty narrow now in March by May, June, it's non-existent. There is no margin for error. And you see, I mean, every year in the Calder cup final, especially, I mean, that's is the best hockey you're going to find anywhere and you know certainly all the outside of the nhl and that standard it's the closest thing i mean i've had so many people tell me this it's the closest thing you're getting to the nhl without actually being the nhl and so it's that that last hurdle that a player like him has to handle and you see that with uh you know a big a big uh playoff performance right can be the difference right i mean that's where, let's say, uh, um, let's say a Yanning Gord um, really, I mean, he went from being like, oh, here's a player that's intriguing to he had that big playoff uh, run in uh-huh. 2017. Uh-huh. And that was sort of the end for him. You know, yep. He was off and kind of left Syracuse in the dust um, and has been off uh, to a exceptional NHL career ever since. I mean, he's one of your more dramatic examples, mm-hmm. but um, you do see like a lot of guys that uh, fit into that role uh, where they can really find the, find themselves. And, um, and that's sort of uh, the last stop for them. Right. And uh, it, even if they end up coming back to the HL the following fall, it tends to be a, a pretty short stint and then they're off to the NHL on a full-time basis. So yeah, I mean, playoff, I mean, the things you can do for your career as an AHL player by having a big playoff are just, you know, I mean, I can't say enough. Right. And I, that's why I thought that that get injured quote was such a great, you know, way to sum it up as a platform. And, you know, remember like during the course of the season, there's 31 next year, 32 teams in the AHL playing. It's hard to, to kind of break through and, and, and attract attention. But by the time you're down to the final four, or the final two, like scouts, you're the last game in town, right? Like, so, you know, like the attention of the scouts and GMs around the, the hockey world is, is fully on you as a player. And so if you can um, make your mark there, I mean, everybody's paying attention. I mean, and, you know, like I said, they want to see what you can do in big high pressure games because every single game in the NHL is high pressure. Um, even your most, you know, mid-season game, you know, between two non-divisional rivals or, or what have you is high pressure. And um, that's what the HL playoffs offer you. One final player that I'd like your thoughts on that I think is going to be looking to have a big playoff run with Syracuse is Alex Barry Boulay. 
Mm-hmm. He was someone we've been up and down on all season long. He's had another, he's another player who had kind of a weird path this season. He was try, you know, tried to clear waivers, got sent to Seattle, tried to clear waivers, got sent back to Syracuse. He had a tough time mentally getting himself back into the game. Yep. He seems to have gotten there now. So yes. he's climbing up the crunch scoring charts. He's showing up where I think he is most comfortable showing up in the games and, and things mm-hmm. are clicking with him now. What do you expect we're going to see out of him going into April and then heading towards those playoffs? Well, with him, again, what age is he? He's 24 years old. So he is very much at that same fork in the road that Sean Day's at and, and so many players, frankly. I mean, he came in, right, and he had that huge rookie season, right? Like, And he looked like one of those guys. I mean, he went from being this undrafted player, you know, signed out of the Quebec League to being like a guy who's looked like he's on the fast track to the NHL. And then, you know, ran into that second year of the pandemic, which like so many players' careers kind of got thrown into the upheaval. And then that third season, kind of that weird up and down. And then before you know it, now you're your fourth year. Now you're into the waiver situation and you start to bounce around a little bit. Now, yeah, that's a hard thing for any player, right? And then he goes off to Seattle and like, oh, maybe this is my opportunity. And that doesn't pan out. And then you end up in Syracuse again. You're like, oh, <laughs> how did that happen? But I think to his credit, he did get his head on straight and um, and get his game in order and, and get back to doing what he can do. And also, I think, start to absorb Ben's lessons of, you know, like really nailing down and buttoning buttoning down that that two-way game that is absolute essential, must-have, non-negotiable to play in the NHL on a full-time basis. Um, and it's not easy, right? Like, it's not – it doesn't come easily to every player, but it's something you have to do, and it's what – everyone knows he can score. Everyone knows he can make plays. Everyone knows he's great with the puck and all that. But how do you play the other end of the ice, right? How do you play the neutral zone? And once you can get those elements of your game while also still maintaining that production – that's when you see the players uh, start to move up to the NHL on a full-time basis. And that's where he's at now. Like this, this is, I don't know if you want to say it's his fourth season pro because, you know, last season was such a weird mishmash of a lot of things, but like he's in a real, like real, that real crucial spot in the player's career where like, you know, is he, is he going to be a 30-year-old playing in the AHL or is he going to be a 30-year-old with five years in the NHL behind him? Um, so, again, you know, he's sort of in that Yanni Gord territory, I think, where a big playoff from him will attract a lot of attention. But he's going to have to definitely do it while playing that great two-way game that, uh, that like I said, is a requirement. So, you know, this is huge. Like the next six weeks or so of the regular season and then going into the playoffs – he needs a huge performance. He needs to, in some ways, maybe put that team on his back, um, like a Yanni Gore did in that playoff run in 2017. And like, he needs to dominate. He needs to be a player that, if you're an NHL scout or GM, you can't look away from, and you just, you almost can't deny him the opportunity, right? Because a lot of a lot of players, like you know, management, they're looking for a reason why you can't play, right? And especially a guy like him where there's some question marks and he didn't come in with the draft status and he's not super heralded. And now he's bounced around a little bit. Um, 
he needs to show them why he can play in the NHL on a full-time basis. And um, so this is huge for him. I mean, he needs, like I said, he needs a huge performance down the stretch here and needs to be a dominant, I mean, dominant, dominant player in the playoffs where, you know, where it just becomes like, yeah, he, he's too good for this league now. And he has to be on our NHL roster because, you know, he's shown himself to be, have what it takes. So, yeah, I mean, and I could go across the league and there's, you know, players on every single team that fit into that same category. Um, and, and not all of them are lucky to be in a situation where they're in a playoff race. You know, if you're in Tucson or San Jose or Lehigh Valley or, or what have you, you don't have that. Like you're just playing off the strain here and uh, you're, you're kind of in a bind. But now, I mean, if you're LaBerry Belay and some of the other players that are on playoff bound teams, this is an amazing opportunity. And this, you know, this is in your hands now to really make it um, happen for yourself. And, and, and yeah, I, I think you can do it. Absolutely. But now you actually have to go out and do it. And that's, yeah. that's the challenge for the players. And that's the thing that really separates the guys that are going to go off to the NHL from the guys that are going to stay down here for their career. Perfect ending. Thank you so much. Um, My pleasure. I- I so appreciate getting your thoughts on everything American Hockey League and Syracuse Crunch. And, you know, we're heading into a busy season for, for media members. So I hope you can keep taking care of yourself. And I really look forward to seeing what pieces you're going to be putting out for the league in the coming months as we head towards playoff season. Yeah, it's been an absolute um, enjoyable, like as crazy as the season has been, like, from a personal standpoint, writing for the league and really getting to dig into stuff has just been, it's been so much fun. Like, you know, I, you know, most of the time I've always had to sort of just strictly focus on hockey and more specifically on well, what does this mean for the NHL team? Right. And that's, that's, that's fine. But this year I've been able to really like dig into what, what does this mean for the AHL team? What does this mean for the AHL? You know, getting into community uh, pieces like, the one I did on Colorado and you know this league is so much fun and there's so much that this league has to offer that that's why you know anytime you offer me to come on the show I'm like yep no problem happy to do it awesome well enjoy the rest of your day and we will definitely catch up again soon sounds good thanks I think that will do it for this week's episode, so I want to thank you all so much for listening. I'm Alex Ackerman. I'm the host and creator of this podcast, and my social media is always open to anybody who wants to come follow me or wants to give any kind of feedback or ask questions. My personal Twitter is at Alovimo, A-L-L-O-V-I-M-O, and my hockey handle is over at SinbinCrunch. I would also like to thank Kevin McLeod and Purple Planet Music for the royalty-free tracks that were heard throughout this podcast. I hope you all have a wonderful week or two until I see you again. Take care of each other out there in Crunchland, and I'll talk to you soon.